DBM delivers experiences that go beyond the ordinary and suspend reality. From powerful loudspeakers to state-of-the-art projection systems, and from high-quality processors to exceptional acoustic treatment solutions and screens, DBM partners with pioneering brands, including Barco Residential, Complete Acoustic Treatment Systems, Display Technologies, Trinov, Waterfall Audio and Meridian Audio. We give you the very best high-performance products for your home cinema projects. Like you, we're committed to achieving excellence. Visit distributedbym.com to find out more. Hello everybody and welcome to The Integrated Home, the podcast that's produced by the home integration community for the home integration community. My name is Jeff Hayward and in this episode we're exploring how supply chain issues are having an impact on integrators and their businesses. We're getting a perspective on the current situation and how to deal with it from David Smith at SMC and Tom Williamson of Element 29. Welcome to The Integrated Home. AWE are proud distributors of Sony televisions and home cinema projectors, bringing you the best content from lens to living room. For more information, visit awe-europe.com. Hi, Jeff. I'm David Smith. I'm a director and co-owner of SMC. We're a high-end systems integrator. We've got around 80 full-time staff, all based in London. We consult, design, supply, install, uh, and maintain AV, IT, control systems, security systems. Uh, we look after technology and buildings. Tom Williamson, uh, one of the directors at Element 29, based in sunny Southwest London, uh, a team of 10, been going 10 years this year. Um, and also, yeah, supplying, designing, installing, and maintaining audio visual solutions sort of inside residential and commercial spaces, really. We're here to talk about current issues within the CI sector that are, are, are quite pressing and have been for some time. So let's dig into the first one of those, which is the supply chain. David, talk to me about some of the, the challenges that uh, that you're facing with supply chains at the moment. Most of the uh, of the issues that we have as a as an industry are fairly widely known. I think they they start with uh, going back two years or more now with the onset of of COVID and the the issues that that created for goods coming out of the Far East. But it's been much more than that. We've been as an industry hit with a a bit of a perfect storm, really, of, uh, of, uh, of problems that have impacted on our ability to get hold of products. So uh, COVID being the first, on top of that, there were uh, a couple of fires in semiconductor plants, which meant that a shortage of microprocessors ensued. Uh, growth in the electric car market, which uh, increased demand for, uh, for microprocessors and semiconductors uh, generally significantly. Um, and, uh, and then just as that problem subsided, a more general 
uh, component shortage uh, appeared to emerge in the uh, in the electronics industry, which uh, seems to have impacted a wide range of products for various reasons. So it's been a difficult couple of years. And now compounding those problems, the fact that business has been buoyant over these last two years too, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and so as as supply has become more difficult, demand has increased significantly. And, that, and that's the thing, I don't think anyone knew, did they, at the start of COVID, what that was going to bring to our industry, you know, were the teams going to have to be furloughed? Oh, then it soon became apparent that actually we could do a lot of work and the, the demand, yeah, was in some respects greater. Yeah, it's been interesting to see how the, our client base has responded to uh, to the changes in uh, in the in the way we all live and work. Actually, you know, the I think we all jumped to the conclusion that people would keep their arms more tightly around their wallets, and uh, and that business might be difficult to deliver for uh, for that reason as well as the uh, the practical ones of of having to stay at home. But um, the opposite has proven to be true. Uh, people realized that they were going to spend more time in their homes and they've spent more money on their homes as a result have you found this that to be the case as well tom oh my, for sure definitely yeah the change in how people use spaces you know with, without digressing from the sort of topic here but yeah the way that people wanted to use their homes in different ways the spaces and yeah the demand was there we're now with this issue of can't get hold of equipment yeah home networks have had to become uh much more robust and reliable they've had to uh, be able to cope with uh with more going on and uh, and you know, we have done a substantial number of network upgrades over the course of the last two years as a result yeah i think that we would always bang the drum about you know, manage networks reliable networks etc cetera, etc cetera, which you know many clients may not have fully understood but suddenly when they're trying to run a multi-million pound business from home with three or four kids that are trying to you know zoom lessons and everyone else is trying to use it i think it became an easier sell or people understood finally you know how reliable this backbone is for the whole system and so that became slightly easier and are you seeing any any sort of shifts is that changing at all or is that going to be fairly constant that level of, of work and and prospects you've got coming in the pipeline in terms of us yeah plenty of work in in the pipeline um projects for the next six to 12 months and beyond both on the resi and um commercial space how's that holding up for you david i'd say the same is true we've experienced around 20 percent growth in 2022 and our pipeline would say the same for 2023 uh you know and that um that is strong uh, you know even compared with 2018 2017 2018 2019 that's you know that that's stronger growth than we experienced in any of those three years. I would say one one thing is probably true that the projects that we are involved with are of greater value now than they than they were uh, four or five years ago, maybe even three years ago. Um, and not not just because prices have gone up, but because the projects are bigger and they're more extensive than uh, than they were before. So a supply chain problem, as you described earlier, could not come at a worse time. No, but I think we're incredibly fortunate to, uh, to work in the industry that we do. The collaboration and communication that we've experienced from our supply chain partners 
uh, has in the main been exemplary. And that's enabled us to plan through all of these problems uh, in a way that perhaps might have been more difficult in, in circumstances where our supply chain was more arm's length. We've been able to make commitments to clients in the knowledge that our supply chain partners have made commitments to us. And in almost every case, every single one of those commitments has been honoured. Wow. Is it the same for you, Tom? I think so. I think with the with the longer term projects, it's, it's definitely been easier to manage. We're now sort of, you know, two and a bit years since the start of COVID and being aware that we're going to be experiencing these delays with products. So for the longer term projects, there's been an opportunity to communicate with the wider design build team and the client. I think the things that have been affected are the shorter term works. We as a business are geared towards long term projects, but also like to slot in the smaller, smaller works that come out. You know, you might get a week or a month or so's notice. And whereas we could slot those in, we can still slot them in from a, a labor perspective. But from an equipment point of view, it's really, really hard um to be able to get hold of that equipment you know a week month's notice so how how do you cope on that sort of shorter term thing do you just have to um talk to the client and persuade them that it's going to take a bit longer i think potentially looking at alternative products to a degree but a lot of the other brands manufacturers are in the same boat and sometimes it is a case of you know we can do x y and z of these works now but you know, A, B and C is going to have to wait until three, six months time. And when we do have some product coming in, really. How about uh, brand switching for you, David? Has that been something that you've looked at or done quite a bit over the last couple of years? It's something that we've we've had to do in in, in some cases. We've taken the, uh, the view that if we were going to brand switch, then that we had to make a commitment to an alternative brand. So we've done a lot of careful evaluation and testing of alternative products and then brought those alternative products into our supply mix uh, on a permanent basis and that that means obviously that somebody else loses out until we've grown sufficiently to uh, to, to to backfill uh, the demand but um, but that has meant that particularly in areas like um, network switching where uh, components have been, you know, very difficult to get hold of at times. We've been able to uh, to embrace a wider range of uh, product sets and talk to clients about what what their alternatives are when uh, when supply of one particular product is not available. What are the positives and negatives of brand switching from your perspective, Tom? I think the positives are, you know, maybe opening your eyes. I mean, we as a, you know, you try and keep abreast of what is out there. But sometimes you know that something is so reliable that you are inclined to to stick with that. But you know, learning more about different product sets and what they do, um, and that's one positive that definitely does does come out of it. Um, on the sort of negative side of things, it's having to learn about the kind of nuances of certain equipment and what may or may not happen, and what you're expecting it to do and doesn't you know doesn't do and doesn't deliver. And I think the the one thing is that is the reliability, really, especially when David talked to about, about network products. I mean, if that goes wrong, then you the whole system basically fails. Um, and so making sure something is reliable is just key, really. Well, one of the other challenges is, uh, is, is with staff. You know, our engineers, first of all, get trained on certain types of product 
they get experienced on certain types of product and they know that some things work better in certain in certain situations than others and keeping them uh content at the work face uh, when when they're having to use things that they're not as familiar with or uh or that they believe uh, may be less reliable and enable them to do a, a less good job than they might otherwise be able to do is you know, is something that we've had to work through. I suppose choosing your the, the companies, brands, distributors that we're dealing with is making sure that you you know you do have that support. You know, we're not looking at just box shifters. It's talking you know well versed distributors that have the support to support our team and, and David's team really. And a lot of that's been behind our making the decision that we had to commit to um to alternative brands uh, on a permanent basis because without that commitment alternative brands have no uh no incentive to invest in their relationship with us so it's been a pretty much fast track education for you as well haven't you because you can't really just sit around and wait you've got to get on and do things haven't you yeah i mean we i guess and then this comes down to scale in part we were able to put off the evil day a little bit longer than perhaps some others because we were able to uh, to see the problem coming down the track and in in relation to components that we you know product that we use a lot of we increased our stock holdings so that we so that we knew that uh that for a, you know for six months we were going to have enough of a supply of things to uh, to to keep us going but all that did was buy us the time to find something else How's it been for you, Tom, with a smaller company? I don't, I'd imagine it's a bit more challenging, isn't it? I think so. Um, with some products, you know, we know that it will be used eventually. You know, we will specify that and it will get used. There's some things, though, that we probably couldn't have had potentially the cash flow to say, OK, yeah, we're going to invest in a load of this and hope that we sell it um, because, you know, that wouldn't have been something that we could have really done. And what have been the big problem areas? I've, I've heard you mention network switching. I heard that there were a lot of problems with getting hold of receivers. I've heard about stories with control systems not being available. What, what for you, Tom, has been the, the, the big, big areas of concern? Uh, yeah, control systems, definitely. Um, huge lead times on that. Um, potentially, you know, could have been made worse by a lot of people pre-ordering when potentially works hadn't been agreed and therefore you know their pipeline looks like they're going to have to deliver x amount of equipment where actually it might be a smaller number than that and so yeah that, that the control system is definitely networking lighting control to a, a degree has also been quite difficult but some of those brands i say some of the more maybe uk centric brands have been very good at delivering product for us so yeah networks and control and lighting have definitely been um sort of the three i think top brands we struggle with are there any other different areas for you, David, or is it the same same issues? AV distribution. The challenge there is that that there's a there's a range of, uh, of of functionality and reliability that we've become used to with certain product sets, um, and those product sets have got lead times that are out beyond 52 weeks now. So we're you know we're having to to move to things that we know are inherently either less capable or less reliable or or function in a in a in a sufficiently different way uh the clients are going to be less happy with the um with the outcome it is what it is and uh the only way we can we can manage those issues is to communicate them 
early and, and let clients make their uh, make their decisions. Tom's absolutely right though about some of the, you know some of the supply chain issues being caused by by happy go lucky tactics being adopted by some buyers, uh, particularly in the commercial market. You know, there's uh, there's a bunch of equipment from one manufacturer swimming around in the um, in in the sort of secondary market at the moment um, that that manufacturer uh, whether the project that it was bought for um, hasn't happened but the the buyer thinks that they can sell this stuff at a premium uh, because of the shortage so he won't won't hand it back to the manufacturer <laughs> that's just causing uh, causing even more issues than uh, than there were before so so there's effectively a, a black market's been created for some of the harder to get stuff yeah yeah. Well, have you been have you been uh, on the dark web sorting sourcing stuff like that, Tom? Not as yet, uh, and hopefully don't have to get to that point. But you know, as projects with some of the brands that are on longer lead times, you know, as there are design changes and and things like that, and which may lead into component changes, it makes it very very hard um, to say, okay, yeah, we can be adaptable. We can change the way we've designed the system to suit that, but we can't do that knowing that we can't get equipment for 12 to 18 months and we're in some spaces it is a commercial space that will be opening on a certain date you know that's not necessarily that, that can't happen we have one job that we can't get practical well we, we can't walk, walk away from we have a practical completion but we can't walk away from it um, because the client is short nine months after we finish the job of one remote control i get it yeah and he's and he's withholding ten percent of the job value because he hasn't got his remote control. Very difficult situation. Mm-hmm. Very difficult. Generally, I mean, I was going to ask: Are clients being understanding, or are they using it to their advantage as as that client is? I think they are generally understanding. I think this is a wider issue. I don't think we're the only ones within projects that are having supply issues, pricing issues. It's the main contractor, the electrical contractor, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. I think they're very, very aware uh, and, and, and generally under, understanding to on our, our needs, potentially when they've gone through the stress of a project like David might be experiencing now, you know, that kind of favour may be dwindling slightly, but at the moment it's been okay. And working on, on good customer relations, I mean, obviously, David, I know that that's something that's super important for, for everyone at SMC, for everyone in the industry, it should be top priority, but have you got any um, any particular new processes that you've put in to manage that? No, the process was always there. Um, I think what is true, however, is that uh, that we are uh, much more uh, on top of uh, our client-facing uh, colleagues to communicate the issues with them. That's uh, an earlier date than perhaps they might otherwise have done which um is uh is a diplomatic way of saying we're uh, you know we're, we're making sure that the right conversations are had at the right time it's really difficult some clients will use that to their advantage and that's why it's important that you communicate things early because the only time they have the opportunity to, to, to use it to their advantage is if you didn't tell them in the first place fair point fair point and tom i'm, I'm sure good communications is, is important for you too oh definitely and as early as possible we are, you know we're constantly talking to clients at the moment about pricing and, and making them aware of you know we can either order or procure this for you now or we talk to you again about pricing in one two three months time 
and I think they are, they appreciate that upfront nature, and it's then back to them to decide whether they press the button now or they press the button in two or three months' time, knowing that some things may be ten to fifteen percent more expensive. Well, that's that's the other thing, isn't it? It's not just not being able to get hold of product; it's manufacturers putting prices up because they have to pay more for the raw materials. Yeah, I mean, it's been just constant and ongoing. You know, some projects where we may potentially requote once previously now it's two three four times we're having to re reprice project projects because of this very kind of issue uh, and it's and it's it's hard and it's not necessarily a conversation you want to have with clients say sorry you know that price that we gave you one month ago is now invalid and it's you know 10 percent more expensive but they are aware of it so it does make it slightly easier how understanding a clients on price increases from your side, David? Interestingly, much more understanding than there used to be. So clearly they, uh, they know what's going on. I've never seen it more difficult than it is now in the last 20 years. The, the, uh, our ability to predict when, uh, when we're going to see price increases, which it was, it was relatively straightforward in the past, we would get given a lot of notice by our major manufacturers of, uh, of, of of when prices would be reviewed and we'd have a reasonable idea of what those price increases would be when they when, when it happened we have no way of knowing that now the strength of the dollar is you know is a massive issue a large number of our uh, main suppliers are american and uh, and that that means that they are they're suddenly making a lot less money collecting pounds and converting them back into dollars than they um, than they were uh, a year or two ago. All, all we can do really is stay close to our supply chain partners, um, give them good notice of our needs and commit to them to making purchases um, when, we, when we say we will, regardless of whether projects slip, regardless of whether our pro- project needs change somewhat in the, in the interim, as long as, you know, as long as we can continue to uh, to use that product that's working reasonably well we are not committing our uh, our sales quotes out for more than uh, more than 28 days um, which gives us an opportunity to reprice and we're talking to our clients about buying stuff early so we're saying to them as, as soon as they sign up or immediately before they sign up if we buy this stuff tomorrow, you can have it at the price we quoted. Otherwise, we may have to requote it later, and that that is working quite well as well. But again, that's that's got to be done within the context of one's ability to physically store um, equipment when you receive it, insure it, and transport it at a later date. And all of that adds cost to the project. So, big lessons learnt, uh, Tom. Do you want to go first? What's what's this whole experience been like? What are you doing differently as a business? I think a lot more forward planning um, as a business overall, but definitely in terms of projects, um, I think has has been the the, the key thing. Um, I suppose being more aware of pricing and how we deal with that and the terms and conditions that go out with our quotes um i think that yeah probably the two two things really what about you david big lessons from from smc's perspective i think we've already touched on it and it's something that perhaps um it was very easy for us to ignore before um that 
communication upstream to our supply chain is vitally important. It always was, but we were probably guilty of just expecting them to hold stock and have it on the shelf when we wanted it and pick the phone up and ask for it and it to arrive. And now that's not the case. And those, um, those conversations are the conversations that will, will resolve a lot of these problems one way or another, maybe not in the way that they were resolvable a year or two ago, because everybody's feeling the pain. Everybody's got the price increase problems to deal with, particularly the distribution partners in our industry have, you know, have massive exposure to the dollar all the time. You achieve much more by working with your partners than mm -hmm. by shouting at them when things don't happen the way you want them to. I, I think I think so. And also maybe not spreading yourself across every single brand possible and, and just saying that we're going to focus, like we have done on brands X, Y, and Z in control, these brands in lighting, this brand in networks and already having those strong relationships and hope that that carried favour in how they treated us, well, in the last six, 12 months and beyond. All right, then, crystal ball time. What's the future hold? What do you think is going to happen 12 to 18 months from now? Where do you think we'll be? I think there's still a lot of money out there. The UK represents an attractive investment proposition to anybody who's uh, sitting there with dollar earnings or, uh, or dollar investments. And as long as you believe that uh, at some point the cycle will reverse, um, some of us are old enough to remember that it does, uh, then the, uh, the, the investment in our, in our world will continue. You know, I, I, I'm working on a large, uh, large office development project at the moment that kicked off during COVID when everybody thought that working from home was the future. So, you know, these, these things don't stop just because there are, uh, that there are problems. Um, the London property market will remain strong, particularly the prime and super prime market because supply will, um, sorry, demand will continue to outstrip supply. And, um, and so I think that the market is going to hold up. But what I do think is that the available work is going to be more demanding. It's going to be higher value, higher quality, um, because some of that next tier down work will, uh, uh, will, will not be as strong for the, uh, for the foreseeable future as the economy. And Tom and I are both supporters of AFC Bournemouth, where a billionaire from America, from Las Vegas, has just bought the club for 120 million, which must be a knockdown price for him. Well, I'd have thought. And that's that's why I was thinking exactly the same point when David was talking about it's you know the UK is attractive, and that's because you know, they're getting more bang for the buck. Maybe not so much with um, the mighty cherries, but um, but you know that there's there's good investments from that side. I do think though that. The, although I, you know, I've said I think the bar is being raised as far as these projects are concerned for all the reasons that both Tom and I um, have touched on. That's a great opportunity for the industry to raise its game. And if people can raise their game, then they can deliver some of these projects, and the, and some of these and these projects will be, you know, will will remain profitable. They'll remain. Uh, uh, good value work that will that will maintain our industry through you know, the next three or four years, five years of whatever it is we have to put up with. Well, I think what we are still seeing is though some in some projects where it does come down to budget, 
clients potentially not fully understanding what they are getting and it just comes down to it needs to be this price and we are you're going against you know another firm another company and they're just saying well that's cheaper i'm going to go with it and there still is even though our industry people are more aware of what we do some clients are still unsure as to what they're getting until it's too late and they've just chosen the cheapest option so we are still seeing that um at this moment in time and and that is going to mean that as it always has actually that that, that anybody who wants to um to work in you know at the very high end of uh, of our world needs to have the consultancy and design uh elements of their of their business nailed down at a, at a you know a very high professional standard uh so that they can deliver what clients expect in you know in in, on, in those projects i think having that in place earlier on has probably made it easier for the likes of smc and i us or element 29 in that because it's planned early on we know what's going in and it gets delivered whereas if they haven't got that design and consultancy in place and you're going straight into the you know second fix or final fit stages and that's when you maybe will come unstuck so do you think there might be a few businesses ending up on the wrong end of uh, this current situation? I think there probably already has been. And I, I think it was probably those that were purely reliant on not knowing what they were doing from you know next week to the week after, where they probably can't get equipment and therefore can't deliver work. And it's probably those businesses that maybe have struggled. That's a, a message for better planning from everybody, I think. Any other advice, David, that uh, that you'd like to put out there for integrators, how to cope with the current situation? The the only other and most important, really, piece of advice I'd, I'd give anybody out there right now is cash is king. Look after your cash flow. Make sure that you are collecting money before you spend it, and uh, and you'll be, broadly speaking, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all of the all of the things. <laughs> <laughs> uh considered obviously but but that you know that's the critical that's the critical piece if you if you leave yourself exposed in this current market to a uh you know to a builder or even a even a client who either for good justification or um or because they're gaming the system doesn't pay you that can bring you down very quickly Indeed. One other question. I mean, there are a number of current affairs issues going on at the moment, but last week we heard news that we might be getting power cuts coming into the country. Any any thoughts on how that's affecting what, how you're designing systems? Uh, well, we've just started a, a solar panel and battery business. <laughs> <laughs> going into winter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Although it's a good time to get a solar panel installed, actually. <laughs> what about you, Tom? I'm not sure what more you, you, you can do other, you know, UPS um, for critical systems, but that might keep things like internet and Wi-Fi up and going, but a lot of the systems that are not going to be able to handle being powered off of that. So it's going to be another challenge and maybe fingers pointed at us if they don't understand that things have completely turned off but you know what can we do if there's no if there's no source so there's no power yeah. it's very very hard if you're um if you've been in our industry for any length of time and you've worked in central london in that time then uh, you're fairly used to clients suffering power cuts this isn't um this isn't anything new it's just uh, that we've got something to blame it on now <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Excellent. Thanks both very much. Really interesting to talk with you. Well, thank you. Thanks, David and Tom, for your time today. We really appreciate your insights. The Integrated Home is brought to you with the support of AWE, Sony and distributed by Meridian. We support Together for Cinema and we are a Wildwood production. The Integrated Home supports Together for Cinema. Together for Cinema is an AV industry movement that designs and installs cinema rooms in children's hospices across the UK. In these special places, children, their families, staff and volunteers are now enjoying fantastic movie experiences together. We want to build more rooms in more hospices for more children. To do that, we need your help. Visit togetherforcinema.co.uk and find out how you can be involved to help make short lives that little bit better.